Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. It is a pleasure to have you back with us. Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. Kyle Elfrink on this side, Ray Flowers on that side. Getting you set for an hour of all things fantasy. And uh, today is one of those days where uh, we kind of make our way around the globe when it comes to fantasy sports. we got plenty of baseball, uh, got some basketball. Justin Finsterman's going to join us. And we have some football, despite the fact that we are uh, still, what, about 12 days away from the uh, Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Ray Flowers, how does the morning find you? Uh, pretty well. You know, I was just talking with you before the show. It's, it's amazing how many things, if you think about how many things all of us accomplish on a daily basis, the mundane things, right? There's the list. You wake up, you go, beep, beep, beep. My mornings are busy, and I, don't, I feel like at the end when we get on the show, it's like I haven't really done anything, but I look back, and it's like I've done 107 things. I, yeah. I, I added. I said 45 before the show started. It's 107 now that we're talking to all of you. But yeah, I'm doing well. Um, clicking buttons, making things happen. Looking forward to the next hour. My uh, my mornings are not quite as um, you know fast forwarded as yours are. But I did spend my morning trying to find a, um, a a way to explain to a four and a half year old what a muscle pull is. Okay. Um, he appears to be suffering from some sort of uh, growing pull, like oh. he's been limping around. Okay. But it's you know I, I didn't even know a four and a half year old could have a muscle that he can pull. But but he is limping around, right? Right. And, and it's like he's not, last night he was limping. This morning he was limping. Um, I felt my wife like wanted to keep him home from school, and I don't do this very often. But Ray, I put my foot. I go, no, this is a you, you can still go to school with a limp. Okay, we we still can do that, right? So I I and I told her I go. I know you feel I'm being tough on him. But this, if he's going to play sports, you know, you got to fight through this stuff. And, and to his credit, last night, he fought through it, played soccer, had a great time. But he's still limping this morning. He says it is a bit painful. It feels better when he rests. But explaining to him what had actually happened, Ray, was a little difficult for me today. Well, and this is from former athlete Kyle Elfrink, who, you know, broke his yeah. hip and had hip surgery. Like, yeah. Kyle's a man. He, yeah, you know, I'm a man. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, did he slip on ice or water no no i picked him up from school yesterday and he was limpy it must have been something on the playground maybe he made a quick move i asked him if something hit him like he ran in and it's not bruised there's no bruising on the outside so we think it is a a muscle pull but again ray four and a half years old can you do that it's (laughs) yeah i mean i guess yeah i don't remember pulling too many muscles when i i was very lucky i didn't pull i hardly pulled muscles i sprained this and broke that like i had the injuries you know in sports but I didn't really pull muscles. That wasn't yeah. something that I dealt with. But yeah, I, could, I don't remember the first time that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, but I imagine as, a, as a, a child, like, you know, you smash your finger and it's blue. You know, it hurts. Daddy, where, what's happening? Something <laughs> yeah. inside here is like, I don't see it. So I, yeah. I get that. That must be weird. Well, when he walks, it's kind of sad. He looks like an old 90-year-old man because he doesn't really know what's, I don't know. It, it's It's been a big topic of discussion here at the Elfrey household. And, and, and again, my wife did not push the idea of him staying home, but she actually broached the topic. I said, hell no. This is not happening. So I drug him out of the house and, and got him off to school today. Um, I will uh, keep everybody abreast of that situation as we go through the week. I told him more than anything, we're going to sit around, we're going to be lazy, and we're going to ice it. That's, nice. that's that's my rule. And and some pain medicine, you know, to maybe alleviate some of that. I'm trying, folks. I'm trying to be a good dad. We'll, we'll see how it ends up. Um, as for today on FSD, what do we have for you? Well, a lot of baseball. Uh, we had a trade. We had a signing. Jorge Polanco traded to Seattle, Justin Turner. We were talking about him yesterday. In fact, we'll talk about him today. Uh, He has inked a deal with Toronto. Uh, Ray will have his yearly discussion into the wall about getting rid of wins. (laughs) I don't know. There are are people out there who take Ray's side on this. I'm not really one of them. My my problem, we'll get into this, is I don't think we've found a good replacement for wins. Uh, So we'll talk about that. Always a big topic of discussion. Uh, when we get ready for a fantasy baseball season. Uh, this week on the show, we are discussing all things first baseman. Uh, yesterday was our one big question, kind of our introduction to the position. Today, we've got surprises from a year ago, and can they repeat it in 2024? We'll talk some NBA with Justin Finsterman and a little bit of NFL news. A couple of teams still looking for a coach. Kansas City losing a piece of their defense, so uh, we will continue to get you set 
for Super Bowl 58. Uh, Ray Flowers continued to get us set for savings. Ray, Ray is the Ray's the coupon man here on the show. He 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 knows how to to put you in the right direction and make sure you get the best deal possible. So Ray, help us out here. Baseball Guide is out. Fantasy Guru's got some specials. What's going on there? Yeah, we got all kinds of things, obviously, at the website. FSD20 is the discount coupon, FSD20. Uh, that is for all the products. You know, Whether you're doing DFS or seasonal, it should be good for a 20% discount on everything. Uh, right now, we do have the baseball product out and, out and available. We're updating it daily, uh, at least two articles Monday through Friday, at least one Saturday and Sunday. So you're getting at least 12 articles a week uh, as a minimum. Uh, right now, we just started releasing our best ball information. So Scott Bonder... It's got a basics, how to do, how to play best ball. We've got the actual best ball rankings from our, our man at the top MLB model, Rob. So we've got that section kind of this week coming down. Uh, basically, we've got everything kind of covered. Head-to-head, best ball, dynasty, rookies, research articles, player profiles, a little bit of everything for the product, which is through the entirety of the season, not just a preseason product, through the entirety of the season. Again, use the promo code FSD20 for another 20% discount on the early bird pricing. And then right now we've got the football deal going on too, which is $29.99. That gets you through the Super Bowl, which doesn't sound like much, but hear me out. It gets you through the Super Bowl seasonal, so you get all access to all the seasonal stuff we've got. DFS, access to all the DFS stuff we got. Wagering, access to all the wagering stuff we got, including the Super Bowl guide. You get all of that, and you get the franchise mode, which is kind of the off-season look that we have for football, including the uh, draft. So that's available right now on a super discount as well at fantasyguru.com. So head over to the site. Uh, click on all the links on the top right. Join now tab. Use that promo code FSD20. I should know this. Uh, Ray, is the Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl guide out yet? Or will that be out, I guess, coming up this week or maybe early next week, I'm mm -hmm. guessing? It's not out yet. I know yesterday I was uh, involved with the – we're creating the art yesterday, you know, for the okay. banners and the logo. So that's, that's I think, pretty much the last official piece. Uh, so I, I would assume – I don't know the answer. I don't have the target date. I, I don't know if it's this week or next. I'll try to find that out, and maybe we can share that tomorrow on the show. Yeah, it will be before the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. <after> <laughs> yeah. And it's always a fun – and like I said, you're putting 30 bucks down. Uh, very easily by using that guide, you can uh, win a lot of that money back. Um, and as Ray noted, the seasonal stuff, and that may sound weird here in the postseason, but there have been write-ups, you know, kind of recapping the year, mm -hmm. looking ahead. All those things will be available. So it kind of keeps you rolling uh, with some football as we go into the month of February. Uh, we begin, though, with some baseball today. Um, and, Ray, we had a trade go down. And, and it's interesting. Like, this name to a lot of people, Ray, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard of Jorge Polanco. I know he's pretty good. I, I think Jorge Polanco, Ray, is probably better than people give him credit for. Um, the last three seasons, his OPS plus is 20% better than the average major league hitter. Um, he gets traded from Minnesota to Seattle. It's not a pure salary dump, but it's kind of a salary dump for Minnesota. They're scaling back and kind of reorienting some of their money. Uh, Seattle needs offense in the infield. Uh, they gave up four pieces. And although there are no huge names going back to Minnesota, we'll talk about what the Twins got back. But Ray Polanco, again, going to Seattle, and it just gives us an opportunity to kind of take people through the idea that, yes, this is a, a good hitter. Mm -hmm. um, the issue is lately, as good as he's been in the batter's box, it's been kind of tough to keep him in the batter's box. He's had a lot of injuries the last few years. He has. And I mean, his, his last full season, which which is, was his best season in 2021, dude went 30, 95, 95. Like that's legit production. And he's had another season where he scored over 100 runs, had 20 plus home runs. I think the thing with Polanco is that he's played in Minnesota, which is not a huge market. Your point is accurate. The last couple of years, he's dealt with injuries. He's not a base stealer. So even if he has a good season and you know hits 275 with 25 home runs and 90 RBIs, doesn't really pop in the fantasy space. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's going to play every day, provided he's healthy. Uh, the Mariners have a, on paper, a kind of eh, offense. But if you look at the pieces and you think to yourself, you know, these guys stay healthy and they play up to their potential, like this could be a really good lineup. And I think some of the early buzz is that Polanco might hit even third in the lineup. Yeah. So third, third to fifth, something like that. So he'll certainly be in a run, you know, producing position. I think it was a good addition for Seattle. And the key is, as you said, him staying healthy and on the field. And and amazingly, Ray, like I look at ADP, and I would suspect this improves a little bit because of what you noted. I mean, he, he gets into the news, he goes to Seattle, middle of the order, those kind of things. 
Ray, he is scot-free right now. Like, he's legitimately free. The, the NFBC ADP has him 25th off the board at second. Mm-hmm. Now, he only has second base eligibility for most leagues. So that's a little different maybe from past years. But, like, Ray, it, you know, we talk about injuries. Like, if I got him in the 270s, mm-hmm. I don't even care about the injuries. <laughs> like, really? I, I if, if I got 90 games of Jorge Polanco, and let's say he could be Jorge Polanco, mm-hmm. totally fine. So, like, you're you're 100% correct. Like, the injuries are there. But that, that affects my decision-making in the top 100. The top By the time you get to 270, who cares? Like, if you get just a bat that when they're on the field they produce, sign me up. I love that cost on Polanco. Yeah, I think, again, he's not a 300 hitter, and he's not a 15 steal guy. So there's there's a limitation, and it really does come down, as we both have said, to him being on the field. There's a huge difference with Polanco with 390 plate appearances and 590, right? He needs to be a compiler. Like he's more of that mm-hmm. kind of a player. But, you know, in our rankings over at FantasyGuru.com, I'm looking at him right now. We've got him 18th at second base, so mm-hmm. substantially ahead of the ADP. Um, it might change, as you said, for the reasons we're discussing here. It might go up a little bit as we move forward. But I think it's if I if I felt confident he was going to play 145 games, he'd probably be 14th, right? Yeah, like he, he, he might be Ray. If he gets 140 games, he has an opportunity to be a, a top 12 second baseman. Honestly. He does. It, yeah. You know, the path is is playing time, though, as we keep saying here, as we keep hitting on. Um, looking at some of the projections, I'm looking at the projection models over at Fangraph. Like, see, they've all got them in that 250-2070 zone, you know, because they're all projecting like 125 games played. Um, but, yeah, he's a, he's a very good hitter. And let's not overlook the fact, too, he just turned 30. Like, he's not an old guy that should be broken down either. Should be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of time left in his career. It is difficult to hit in Seattle. It's not a great ballpark for offense. But that, again, if he's somewhere in the 3-5 to five hole with this team, you know, and he's around Julio Rodriguez and Cal Raleigh and Mitch Garver – like the offense could be more productive than we're anticipating. You know, next week we'll talk second baseman. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm looking at this list and Polanco being 25th. There's a lot of good players in the 20s at second base. Like guys, you know, not dudes who can cover you in five categories, mm-hmm. but they can certainly be very good in like two and proficient in three. Um, unlike the first base position that we're talking about this week, second base is, is very deep. Very, very deep. So Polanco, part of that crew, off to Seattle. On the flip side of this trade, Ray, um, is what Minnesota gets. And and I noted kind of a, a salary dump. There was a little bit of money going back to the to the Twins. Um, or actually, was it to the Mariners? Yeah, I guess it was to the Mariners to kind of even up. Or to the Twins to pay for, like, Anthony Descalfani. He's got a bigger contract. But David in, in the chat room is, is kind of noting the particulars here. And, again, this doesn't really rel- – isn't relevant to the fantasy player for the most part, Ray. But – um, you know, the fact that Justin Topa goes to, to the Twins, that's a very good middle relief arm. The guy was uh, excellent, as David notes last season. Um, and the outfield prospect, I think it's Gabriel Gonzalez. He's really young. Like, he's only been an A-ball. Uh, but a lot of people already consider him a top 100 Major League Baseball prospect. So th- this works for both teams, I, re- I think, Ray. I mean, Minnesota gets quantity back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it never excites people when you get a really good seventh inning arm or whatever it may be for Topa, but that's kind of what they got. Desclafani in a pinch. You know, if you have injuries, you can throw him out there and, and make use of him. He's a body. And then you wait three or four years and you hope Gabriel Gonzalez develops. Yeah, and I, I saw this. I'm trying to look it up as we're talking here. Uh, I believe that Anthony Desclafani will cost the Twins no money. Okay, they evened out the zero. They because the, <laughs> Well, the Giants are paying 50. half. <laughs> And the Mariners are playing half. So I think well, it's a better deal than Okani then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that, like you said, th- this is a deal that on, on paper seems to work for both teams. Uh, you know, it's never wrong to get depth on the hill. Desclafani is, is clearly a veteran four or five starting pitcher at the big league level. He's not a, a superstar. He's had a couple of nice moments, but. In general, he's kind of just a guy. But if you look at the rotation with the Twins, they've got Lopez, Ryan, and Ober locked in. That's a really good threesome. And then it's, you know, guys like Paddock coming back from injury, the youngster Louis Varlin. Like, there's a chance that, you know, Descafani even established himself as part of this rotation. They'd probably be comfortable with him making 25 starts this year. Um, you know, they got Topin, the bullpen. Um, so, yeah, I think that this is one of those deals that 
you know, if Polanco stays healthy, makes an all-star team, hits 290 with 32 home runs, everyone's going to go, oh, crap, right? Because mm-hmm. because the guys they got back probably don't feel suit starring roles with the Twins. But it's a good baseball trade. Yeah. And and the Mariners obviously trading from a strength of positioning. You know, their their bullpen is loaded with fireballers. They just – that was one of their hallmarks last season. Uh, but when you're strong there, you're weak in the infield. you got to trade from strength. It's a reminder to all the fantasy players out there of uh, how to make trades. And the Mariners, more than anybody, kind of reminds us of how to make trades. That's that's what they enjoy doing. Uh, so, again, Polanco off to Seattle. He will be joining the Mariners uh, down in Arizona for spring training. Instead of Florida, he was going to go down to Florida with the Twins. Now heading to the uh, desert with the Mariners. Um, elsewhere yesterday, Ray, Justin Turner uh, has found a home. We were talking about him yesterday. Uh, I don't know how many people realize this, but amongst first basemen. And he did play about 40 games at first base last season, so he does qualify. Uh, but when you add it all up, Ray, he was a top 12 first baseman. Uh, as we noted yesterday, he didn't have a home yet. Uh, he gets a home now. One year, $13 million to go to Toronto. Uh, how's he fit in with the Blue Jays? I guess that's like, you know, where are we going? Where are we going to bat? How often are we going to play? And that's kind. Of, oh, and by the way, we're like 37 years old. That, that's the question with Justin Turner. He's 39 years old, Kyle. You gave him 39. Credit. Gosh, even older. Um, there hasn't been much give in his offensive game, maybe, you know, a little bit from his peak, but as you noted, he was still very effective last season. Um, the, the move to Toronto is a strong one for him. He obviously joins a, a, what should be a really good lineup. Toronto played much fairer last year as a ballpark than we anticipated. They made those, the moves, the dimensions were changed and stuff, but the ballpark, the, the offense we expected didn't happen. Right. So it played fair still, uh, Ben Nicholson Smith, is that his name? The beat writer, um, yeah, he, he tweeted out that the early expectation is, and hold your horses, folks, the early expectation is Justin Turner hits cleanup. <laughs> so if he's hitting behind Springer, Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero, <laughs> and he stays on the field, it's going to be pretty hard not to get 90-plus RBIs, right? Well, that that and, would be uh, the DH. I mean, Vlad's your yeah. first baseman. Um, let's see, third base, who is it? So, but the thing is, you don't want Justin Turner playing third base anymore at at his age. Like you said, you're you're pretty well looking at this guy, Ray, as DH. Maybe he gets a few at bats at first, but probably a year from now, he may, he might be DH only. He might be utility, but now you still get him to where you can move him around on your fantasy roster. Yeah. And you know, for the, from the Blue Jays perspective, maybe he plays 12 games at first base and nine at third, right? He gives guys a rest. It's a matchup thing. So he's, he may not be eligible in the fantasy space, but he's useful for the team. I mean, it's a good signing. It's a one-year deal. If he craps out at 39, you know, they're not tied in long-term or anything like that. Again, the top of that order could be absolutely smoking. Um, I think that I think one of the bigger questions we have to deal with now with this team is what do things look like? Because I agree with you, Turner's likely to play DH the majority of the time. What does that do to the catcher spot? Because we we saw a lot of Jansen and Kirk in the lineup at the same time last year and the year before Ooh, because point. one was catching and one was DHing. With the way Christian Kirk hit last year, and we talked about him last week here on the show, the struggles he had, and, and the fact that Jansen seems to be a much more impactful offensive player, do we see Kirk really? You know, is Kirk's ceiling capped? Is, is 275 plate appearances all he's going to get might if be. these guys stay healthy? Yeah, might be. Very well might be. Uh, Turner's another guy right now, Ray. He's free. He's going in the 250s. Mm-hmm. And last year he was pretty well free. And I remember he was one of the guys because um, he was going to Boston. I was like, he'll be fine there. Like, And then I said he was free, take a shot. He was kind of one of my guys who I said – uh, was a rebound candidate or whatever. And he was coming off not bad years by any stretch, but I think people kind of thought he was washed, you know, not not worth much anymore. Uh, went to Boston, what, 23 homers, 86 ribbies. And and I would hope maybe that's the number you get this year, which is damn impressive for a 39-year-old. And, and if everything went perfectly, and Ray mentions the spot in the batting order, maybe 90-plus ribbies is doable for a guy like Justin Turner. But again, Ray, totally free. And it's I think that's something to keep in mind. We're talking about two guys who have the potential of 25 home runs. We're talking about two guys who have the potential of 90 ribbies. Now, they're not going to be five-by-five studs, but, Ray, two guys who can do that in the 250s and lower, I mean, that that speaks to some hitting depth that we do have. It's, you know, people concentrate on the front rounds. We do, and everybody loves that. But, Man, you can find guys beyond round 20 who can absolutely move the needle for you in fantasy baseball. 
Yeah, and I think it really – it does come down to how you've built your team as well um, because what, what really happens – and we haven't said it directly, I don't think, this baseball season, so let's say it directly. In the draft, when you're looking at ADP and all that, people project, all right? Taking Polanco, taking Justin Turner, eh. They don't – people aren't interested in 270, 2080. Yeah. They're not interested in that, okay? So what they'd rather do is take a youngster that's ascending, someone in a good spot in a batting order, that kind of thing. That player may never that player may never hit above 255 with seven home runs, but that they're projecting him out. To, so the projection game really hits hard on established veteran players that are aging, right? So they're just not sexy. They're not exciting. They're not appealing to people. So you reach that point of the draft where, you know, when you're talking, like you're saying, 18th round, 19th round, 20th round, all of a sudden, Justin Turner, Jorge Polanco, like then there's like, let's get these guys because people realize I took on a little bit of risk early that I may not, you know, maybe I wasn't the best move. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to get that stability here in the later rounds, which at least gives me that floor. Uh, so Turner's off the market. The market, though, still has players. Uh, we're going to talk Cody Bellinger here in a bit. Still looking for a home. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. These guys still searching for a home. And we're two weeks out from camp. And, and Ray, I wanted, you know, it's kind of a stare down has been going on, especially with Snell and the market and probably Bellinger in the market. Um, and I will applaud baseball on this, Ray. Yeah, their they're, owners make a lot of stupid deals. I, I, they're taking my side on this Snell Bellinger thing. And, and that's good. You know, I I, I know pro, you know, everybody hates rich owners. Again. But, Ray, there's, they hand out so many silly contracts. And I, I think Snell and Bellinger could have been very silly contracts. And maybe they still get it. But to this point, I think it's very evident that Snell and Bellinger, sure, they had great 2023s. But thankfully, the people with the purse strings and the decision makers in baseball realize what these guys really are. And none of them right now, none of these teams, Ray, are wanting to give these guys like beyond four or five years. And none of them want to go above 200 million or anything like that. We're seeing at least some sobriety <laughs> from, from owners when it comes to Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger. I think some of it might be forced sobriety because apparently some teams are still concerned over revenue from TV and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they've been reluctant to spend. This is, and again, we've talked about this a lot. This is bad for baseball, right? Football free agency opens up, and a week before free agency opens up, 47 guys are signed. Like, we know, and it's this big thing, and it's this big press. Baseball's free agency has been open forever, and nothing is happening. We still have award-winning players on the free agent market, and I wish baseball would figure it out. I do agree with you being sober in the case of Bellinger and Snell makes a lot of sense. read a really interesting article about Snell this morning, and it talks about the fact that, look, Everything he does is kind of on the line because he doesn't throw strikes. He doesn't throw the ball in the strike zone. His fastball is not very good. You know, and when you start looking at these pieces and it's like everything has to go right for this guy. And it did last year. And look what happens. But three, four years from now, when the velocity is down a mile per hour and he's lost a couple inches of break. And is he going to turn into Dylan Cease? And he very well could. So I think that I would love to see the the dam kind of break because there's a ton of mid to low level free agents who that haven't signed. Right. There's a ton of guys out there. There's still times for your favorite team to make some moves, I guess, is the moral of the story. Uh, speaking of Bellinger and Turner, let's move back to our uh, positional discussion. This week, we're spotlighting uh, the first base spot. And today, especially, we're talking about surprises from a year ago. Can they do it again? And, Ray, it's fair to say both Bellinger and Turner show up on this list. You see the images there of Spencer Steer, Josh Naylor. Um, I think Yandy Diaz is certainly here. Spencer Torkelson, who we talked a bit about yesterday. Um, Let's start, since we kind of talked about Turner, let's start with these two guys we're looking at, Spencer Steer and Josh Naylor. Um, Steer kind of making his way for the first time through Major League Baseball a year ago. Uh, Part of that, you know, arrival, that wave of guys that the Reds are bringing to the big leagues. And then Josh Naylor's kind of been floating around for a couple of years, right? And I think there's been interest from time to time, but it never really clicked. Uh, last year, it was rough early. He came on so strong in the second half and really became a, a summer performer. Uh, both these guys finished very strong at first base, a position that's relatively weak. Do you think both have a repeat in them for 2024? Naylor is very interesting because I'm looking at the numbers right now. I pulled them up because we all know what he did. And you can see it there. He had over 397 RBIs. He had a 949 OPS with men in scoring position last year, which Mm. is Hall of Fame level. And you think to yourself, well, of course that's going to pull back. And I think it's fair to expect that. Then you look at 2022 and the number was 981. (laughs) And, you know, first career, it's 870. Like he's 
he is a very effective with men on base. And he's going to have to be because unlike so many other corner infield options, Naylor's not a real big power guy. Like, you know, could he hit 20 home runs? Yeah, I did a couple years ago. He hit 17 last year, but 25 is his ceiling. I, I You know, and even getting to that ceiling is a little rough. I think he's more of a 275 hitter. So, you know, if you're profiling him out, I think he's more of a Josh Bell type. So I think last year was kind of the ceiling with Naylor. So it's a little concerning if you're drafting him expecting a repeat or improvement. Hey, uh, let so, me stop you yeah. there real quick on Naylor. 308. Mm-hmm. That that blast off the page, right? right. <laughs> In today's baseball, hitting 308 uh, really takes off. And, and I see that. And I see Josh Naylor. And I think, I think the Panda. I think Pablo Sandoval. Now, Sandoval was a guy, Ray, who had a very weird approach. And it's like, mm-hmm. God, how's this guy hitting 330, you know? Is is Naylor like that or is that just far? And, and again, we shouldn't expect there's like three pandas every year, you know? And it's very hard to consistently be the panda. But but is Josh Naylor like that or am I barking up the wrong tree? No, and, you know, I took a rather flattering photo of Josh Naylor. He's not the <laughs> most, uh, doesn't have the most athletic build. Yeah, and he's not Pablo Sandoval. He's right. not there yet. He he needs to add another, I don't know, 50 or 60 Twinkies to, to the uh, menu. And Pablo was such a good athlete, too. He was light on his feet. I got to see him play for light on his feet and everything, but he was overweight. There's no doubt <laughs> about that. Um, I think Naylor is interesting because I think he's he's a good hitter. And what he's done is he's aged, and, and you can see it directly in his launch angle. Look, here is really launch angle numbers, 5%, 8%, 9%, 10%, 12%. So every year he's starting to lift the ball a little bit more. And I think, again, that's why we're talking about him not being a 15 home run guy, but potentially a 25 home run guy. Uh, Uses the field pretty effectively. Uh, And I think that there there is enough here to suggest he's got a chance to approach 300 if everything goes right. But he's not fleet of foot. Um, You know, this is not a player whose stat cast data jumps off the page either. Very much like Pablo Sandoval. Good call, Kyle. So, again, I think he's... To me, you draft him and it's Nathaniel Low zone, right? It's we're expecting 275, 1775. That's what we're expecting. Let's see if we can get more. That's kind of where we're at. I, I think it's it's tough to envision a scenario where he's a legit option to hit 300. Let's go to the guy off the uh, top of the page for those who are viewing us live here on the uh, podcast, whether you're on uh, YouTube, Facebook, X, wherever you're at. Uh, Spencer Steer. And, and Ray, he did not come in with near the attention. Um, or excitement that his younger and fellow rookies did. And and we should note, he's 25. He's, you know, Spencer Steer was never like, oh, my God, just wait till Spencer Steer comes to the big leagues. He was never that guy. And perhaps, Ray, that is shown in how he bounced around the diamond <laughs> everywhere. That That's, you know, in fantasy sports, we get excited about guys like Spencer Steer who we can play all over the place. And sometimes, Ray, I find that excitement actually overwhelms who's the player. Like, you know, you just kind of get excited of, oh, I can move them everywhere. And maybe it distracts you from what the player can actually do. So give us a rundown. What can the player actually do? Yeah, if you look at the the picture on the screen, you note that if you have a 15 limit uh, qualification at a position, he comes into the season with four positions. And if it's 20, he qualifies at three. And that has to add a dollar or two to an auction value. That has to add a round or two to draft position. It just has to because of the flexibility, whether or not he plays those positions this year or not. He qualifies there this season to your point in something we talked about earlier we discussed jonathan india uh last week i think it was the reds got a a lot of players here they got too many guys if everyone's healthy and so steer might have to bounce around a little bit and it while it's great to have that you know there's not many guys like dj lemayhu who have bounced around like that consistently and been a true weapon in the fantasy space usually it's the floater kind of players to your point and i think that steer had a great season last year. I mean, let's not overlook the fact that he almost went 25-15, right? Which is, you know, the power and the production. Okay, he had 15 steals too, which was terrific. Mm-hmm. It's tough to look at him and, and feel great about him improving. Tough. It's possible. But again, this this will come down to playing time, how often he's out there. He was out there all the time last year. He had over 660 plate appearances. But there is no real true standout skill here. He doesn't strike out a ton. He walks a good amount. You know, he gets the ball in the air. 15% launch angle is a nice level to be at. But the bat of ball data is not terrific. So his value to me, again, is, yes, we're going to get some counting category work here. But his real value is the flexibility that we're discussing. 
A couple of other guys on this surprise list, and I, I guess we'll go to Yandy Diaz as the first one, Ray. Um, and you were just talking about launch angle. Yandy Diaz made a big jump into home run territory last year. Um, I think coming into last year, he had like 39 home runs in six seasons, something like that. And he'd never been like 160, but it was 39 home runs in six seasons. And last year, Ray hits 22. And you were just talking about launch angle with with Spencer uh, with Spencer Steer. It's interesting, and, and again, it, it shows that you can't just look at one number and you can't just concentrate on that. The, the launch angle, as to what I'm seeing, Ray, mm -hmm. was way, way down from, from previous highs. Um, let's see, in 2022, it was 7.7. It was 6.6 .6 in 2021. It was 7.9 in 2020. Last year, it was 5.7. So it did go backwards. What, what changed, Ray is um, another stat that people love to look at when they say, well, why did a guy explode? Barrels. This guy, he, he squared up the round baseball. A lot of barrels here. I mean, he like doubled his percentage of barrels and the velocity jumped up. I I mean, one point, I mean, Ray, he was like at 88 a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Last year, he's over 93. That That's a significant jump in two years' time. It's huge. It's not even, it's, I would use huge as the, the, the verb, adjective. I don't even know what my words are anymore. Verbs, action word, right? Uh, the, I mean, and you look at his stat cast page, and I just pulled it up while we're talking here, and red is good for hitters, blue is bad. And you bring it up, his batting run value, top 4% in baseball last year. His WOBA last year, his expected WOBA, top 5%. His expected batting average, top 2%. His exit velocity, top 2%. His hard hit rate, top, top 3%. Dude mashed. The baseball. Now he's always been a good hitter. The, you know, he. If people remember, I don't know, was it four or five years ago? There were the picture of his arms that were bigger than my thighs. Like you look <laughs> at this guy and he's like a Greek Adonis, and then you look and he's hitting nine home runs. You're like, what the hell's going on? Uh, I would be surprised if he repeated the 22 home runs. I think he's a 15 to 20 home run guy. I'd be surprised if he repeated the 330 batting average, but he can hit 300. Yeah, that like, might be American League, by the way. 330 top hitter in, in the American League. I think, and this is not something I thought of before right now, but I think if you look at the production um, of Josh Naylor on the screen there, and you said that's what Yandy Diaz does this year, the run scored column would probably be 82, not 52. But I think hitting 300, 1790, like I think that's more of Yandy Diaz. That's who he mm -hmm. is. And I think that, you know, it all came together last year. Everything went right last year. Uh, if I had a concern, it would be the home runs dipping more than the batting average. Again, if you're hitting 300 in this day and age, it's 50 plus points above the league average. 300 with 17 home runs, I think he can do that this year. So you'd be comfortable with him as your starting first baseman? I would. And I think that, it, you know, the league's in the 240s is batting average. And if you're projecting a guy to be a 300 hitter, uh, it still carries weight. I can mm -hmm. find 10 extra home runs at another position, right? I can grab Kyle Schwarber. I can grab those kind of the slugger type. Like I can grab one of those guys to get me the power. Finding 300 batting average from a guy that's going to play every day that doesn't have four home runs or, or two steals, you know, it's really hard to find that. So I, I would be comfortable, but I'd have to structure my team a little bit differently. So there you are, a uh, discussion of a few of the surprises at first base from a year ago. Tomorrow we flip the coin and we'll go with uh, disappointments of 2023 and kind of their outlook. For 2024. Uh, one last thing on baseball. Every day we kind of like to spotlight um, a thought that Ray Flowers has columnized. Yeah, I'm just making up words here. He's it turned it into a column. And, and this is one that uh, he uh, turns into a column each and every year. Um, he's tired of wins. He hates wins. And Ray, I'm guessing a lot of the public can get behind you on this because that is frustrating. Uh, you draft good pitchers and they actually do well, but they get you 10 wins. You know, it's the old Jake DeGrom issue. Um, Ray, give us the rundown. You want to get rid of wins as a five by five category, correct? Yeah, look at the screen there. Talking about the Colin Poche, a reliever, had more victories last year than the guy that finished second in the Cy Young in the NL. <laughs> I mean, if there's ever been a more obvious, we got a problem here. Like, oh, Ray, that's I a lot. That. And Colin Poche, Ray, becomes a difference maker. We appreciate Colin Poche and what he can do. You know, it's like, uh, it's like Topa, Justin Topa. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets to appreciate them. Guys like guys like Colin Poche, Ray, we should appreciate them. They, they they now stand out because of the wins category. Yeah, and this year he'll pitch exactly the same and win four games. So, um, and, and you see it there too. The last three years, there have been four pitchers in baseball who have won 12 games each year. 12. 
12, as it says there on the article. That's less than half a victory a week over the course of a season. And there's only four guys that have done it the last three years. We simply don't have enough units for wins. You know, you win 15 games, you win 12 games, you win 16 games, you win 11 games. There's not enough units, number one. There's not enough differentiator between a reliever and a starter. Number two, wins say nothing about a pitcher. You could give up six runs in five innings and get a win. You can throw eight innings of shutout baseball and get no win. Wins, wins tell you nothing about how the player performed. And there just simply has to be a better way to record the value of pitching because we talk about this a lot. A starting pitcher only contributes in four categories in a five-by-five five setup. And with the legit possibility that pitching exactly the same one year and the next can be the difference between 11 victories and 17 or 15 and nine, it just is a terrible category. So not enough mm-hmm. units, uh, too much volatility, uh, and it doesn't directly speak to how a pitcher actually performed. Um, so then Ray becomes in it because I don't really disagree with you on those fronts, the volatility and the issues with the win. But then it, it becomes a matter of, okay, we want to get rid of it, but we don't want to go five by four. You know, we have to have something in there. And this leads us to the quality start. Uh, this leads us to, as noted there on the sheet, the quality start plus win. G- give us a round. I, I, my issue, as I stated earlier in the show, has been I don't disagree with the idea of wins, but I'm not really sold on the most popular replacements for wins. We, I, I was in, and I took a year off last year, but I'm back in this year, the uh, Tout Wars League that has taken up the mantle. We've, we have um, decided to go with solds. We have decided in that league to replace wins with innings. That, so it seems to be there's kind of two directions that people take with wins. Let's replace it with innings because, again, those are hard to find. It sounds stupid. 25 years ago, that would be dumb. Now it's harder to find wins than you, innings you, yeah. than you would think. Or secondly, the suggestion here that comes from Ron Chandler years ago. I like quality start wins because in some respects, quality start, like I said there on the page, quality start's not a good number. You can have a four and a half ERA, you give up three runs and in six innings. Not very good, right? But at least you went six innings, right? Mm-hmm. That, so it does incorporate the innings pitched component with it. Uh, it gets the opportunity, you know, for the guys to that are consistent to qualify in a more advantageous manner, you know, because, uh, you know, like uh, Logan Webb was second in baseball last year with 24 quality starts, even though he had fewer victories than Colin Pochet. So I think it's a nice combination of some durability and depth and then just getting us more units. And if you look at the QSW leaders from last season, you know, the top three guys are Garrett Cole, Spencer Strider and Zach Allen. So it didn't appreciably change those guys at the top. Those guys won 15, 20, and 17 games. So I think it just does a good job of giving value to guys like Logan Webb or Zach Wheeler or Zach Eflin, guys that didn't necessarily, or excuse me, George Kirby, guys that didn't necessarily post huge win totals, but did a very good job of keeping their team in games. And it's more indicative of how they pitched in 2023. The innings one to me, Ray, is probably a bit better than either of the quality start inclusive ones. It's it's a weird, my, you know, then because it, in effect, you're saying the most important thing to me is a guy who can take the ball every five days. And honestly, Ray, we're at a point, I don't think this is changing anytime soon, where that should be kind of what a pitcher is judged on more than any other thing is the ability. Now, Another team might say, you know, it's not really the important thing to us. Our important thing is we've got depth at pitching. And so we've got seven guys we can rotate. We don't need guys who can take it every five days. I mean, in effect, Ray, we're watching the Dodgers say we don't need guys who can go every five days. And that's the best team in baseball, the best franchise. I mean, they, they pretty well said, screw it. We've moved on. Like, they're not even interested. I compare that to like, um, you know, here in St. Louis, Ray, they're signing guys purely because they can take the ball every five days. Mm-hmm. So they're going the other way from the Dodgers. Right. It's usually not a boat you want to be in, by the way. It's going the opposite direction. So so we'll see. So I, I wonder, the, the problem with the innings saying, Ray, is we might just get a vast majority of baseball saying, we're not interested in that anymore. And so nobody gets 160 innings. I don't know. They I do like it more than the quality start. One problem I've had with the quality start, Ray, mm-hmm. and, and this is, I don't even know if people care about this. I would. Ray, if if I knew my pitcher had earned that quality start, 
Mm-hmm. I got it. He went six innings and he gave up two runs. Wow. Quality. And then they sent him out in the seventh inning and the first two guys reach base. They pull him. Those two runs come around. All of a sudden I've lost the quality start. Right. Like I, I, the problem with me for that stat, one of the problems is I'm actively rooting for my pitcher to be pulled. George Kirby, it's your hero. (laughs) I I want my pitcher out of there so that I don't lose the stat. It's, and I guess that works with wins as well. You know, that's something people maybe don't think about with wins, but Ray, in effect, you can lose a quality start after you earned a quality start. You can't really lose a win after you've earned it. And and maybe that's in the weeds and people don't care, but I, I have a problem when the stat can be created. And then the stat can be erased off the sheet. Well, if you think about it, they're, you know, hitting, winning 300 games was the kind of the baseline for the Hall of Fame. No one's going to ever, we may never see a 300 winner ever again. Mm-hmm. We have to readjust. Maybe it's 250, maybe it's 225, maybe it's 200, right? We have to readjust. And I think it's fair to consider readjusting the quality start, especially in the modern day where guys go five innings, right? That's it. If you go five innings, you get a high five in the clubhouse, right? You can be making $20 million if you get five innings, high five. Man. <laughs> guys don't go deep in the game. Let's adjust the quality start. Let's say if you're man enough in this day and age to go seven innings, we'll let you give up four runs. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe if, it's go, if you go eight innings, it's four runs. Some kind of adjustment because we're still saying, you know, four – Four runs and seven innings, it's not good. What's a 4.86 ERA, whatever the hell it is, it's not good. Well, um, and three and six is a four and a half ERA. Yeah, so it's Does not. Does anybody get excited about their starting pitcher sporting a four and a half ERA? No, they don't. <laughs> but to your point, we're, that is putting more emphasis than on the innings, on the work. So I wouldn't be opposed. And I, again, this would be tricky for some people because people like definitive. Like it's not quality start and then quality start plus. Well, if you went seven innings and yeah. we changed this. But it's it is something to think about. Um, wins can go the same way though. You know this guy, the guy leaves with a five run lead, and the bullpen gives up six runs. I mean, it's yeah. it's just an, and again, that's another reason why you know a number like win in particular is so bad. At least in the case of the quality start, you get the quality start point. If the bullpen then came in and gave up five runs, you still get the quality start. If the bullpen comes in and gives up the five runs, you don't get the victory. I do prefer innings over quality start, I guess. That's again, that's what Tower Wars does. Yeah, so so we'll see how that goes. You'll have to report back on that. Uh, one final thing on this, and then we'll get to Justin for some hoops. Um, and I'm sure like Fangrass has probably done this or um, our buddy Anthony Perry from Fantastics. But, you know, correlation, you, you know, the idea of you can't predict wins. I wonder over like hundreds or let's say 25 years of baseball, if there is a correlation between pitchers getting wins and their teams getting wins. You know, the idea of I'm going to draft a guy on the Yankees. I'm going to draft a guy, um, you know, on the Houston Astros. Um, and again, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I wonder, you know, if you could pile all those numbers into the the math machine, if you would find out if there is a true correlation between just starting pitchers being on teams that win games and if it leads to more victories. A lot of people, you know, it's kind of like the relievers. You get more saves if you're on a good team. Not necessarily. Uh, that correlation isn't definitive. Uh, okay, so there it is. There's the layout. Column is up uh, in the draft guide, fantasyguru.com. Uh, also at fantasyguru.com, plenty of basketball. There's always plenty of basketball. It's a five-game slate tonight. That means that there'll be a DFS cheat sheet, DFS breakdown. That means that Justin Finsterman, our next guest, will be helping you through your Tuesday night. He helps you out almost every night. He and the crew at Fantasy Guru with all things NBA and DFS. And every Tuesday... He joins us here on the show. Justin, how's it going, man? Going well, Kyle Ray. Good to see you as well. How's everything, boys? It's well. Although I am not $40 richer like you are after the big Royal you Rumble. You could have been. You declined. Yeah, you, you, it's like came out winning the Royal Rumble pie, huh? Yeah, listen, it was like prom for me all over again. Got rejected twice when I offered you a chance at the dance, and you declined. I don't know why you did, but hey, next year it'll be on Netflix, hopefully, and you'll be able to get the 10 bucks in to potentially win 200 yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to ruin my reputation in the hallways, you know, getting into WWE pools. You know, if I if I went, you know, it's like going with to you with Palm, you know, I don't want to ruin my reputation. I look bad. So maybe next year, maybe next year. Um, of course, it'd be nice if the WWE had, you know, somebody who wasn't such a disgusting, awful person. Well, he's made, gone now. Guys. They don't. He's gone. He doesn't. He's gone. I know. I, oh, yeah. He's gone. He, he just ran it for 50 years. Yeah. yeah he's gone now. He's gone. <laughs> okay. It's, it's all clean. I, I apologize. Um, okay. I'll actually hit you right in your sweet spot, Justin. You'll love this. 
Knicks, baby. Knicks. I I saw since January 1st. Is there a hotter team in basketball? Probably not. The Knicks are 13 and 2 since the flip of the calendar, but they've lost Julius Randle. Now they still got talent, but but what's this mean for the fantasy player? Randle, I think it's a shoulder, probably yeah. multiple weeks. Who, who gets the boost up with Julius Randle out for the Knicks? I mean, you start to look at some of the other midcourt players like Dante DiVincenzo, who we saw last night, and I should have bet that point prop on him. It was at 15 and a half, and you saw him get a lot more shots. But also, OG Ananobi was out last night too, and that's going to be a big one right there. He's going to be driving the lane more. He's going to have clearer lanes, so I expect his offense to go up. But then your multi-category producer and our DFS darling who was last night and is going to continue to be even tonight, Josh Hart as well, a guy who can play four positions and fill up that stat sheet when given the minutes. Julius Randle being out, guys, it boosts just about everybody on this team. But those three in particular will absolutely be boosted. And for DFS, the books will keep them down. The sites, rather, will keep them down for a little bit, those prices. So we'll get to enjoy some value for a little bit. Ben Simmons apparently has decided to play basketball. Uh, I don't I don't follow this closely. I just know that Ben Simmons doesn't play and there's always some excuse, cell phone in his pocket at practice. I'm not giving the guy any any leeway here. I could be told. Wait off, you, but... Just wait until you hear he can't hit free throws, right? No, right. I know he can't hit free throws. He can't he shoot. Not, he's, he's a terrible. Yeah, yeah he can't shoot. Um, but he's back for the Nets. Talk to us about the whole scenario, Justin. What does it mean? Am I being unfair to Ben Simmons? No, listen, I think, you know, first of all, you're not being unfair to Ben Simmons because it's been a lot of ridiculousness. However, this was an actual injury that he's okay. coming back from that he's missed nearly 40 games, nerve damage. And that right there, it, it just, injuries don't escape this guy, but nerve damage is very bad. I remember when Michael Porter Jr. went through it, he wasn't the same when he was out for an extended period of time, which makes me believe, guys, that Ben Simmons is going to be watched very carefully and he's not going to be unleashed. I don't think you're going to be seeing him play regularly 30 minutes until maybe the tail end of the season if he can stay healthy. But what does he do? He boosts the nets like you pointed out, Ray. Guy can't shoot, free throws can't make, but he's very good at playing defense. And that worries me because we've been attacking the nets with guards all year long while he's been out. We can't do that anymore. When he's in, he's going to be a matchup nightmare. So whether he ends up starting and plays 25, 27 minutes, or he comes off the bench and plays 23 minutes, this guy, when he's on the court, is going to be bad news for the players that we're attacking the Nets with. So I think they're going to bring him along slowly. But we saw, and especially those in points leagues, by the way, maybe you might be able to get him at a discount thinking that he'll only play a certain amount of time and that would dissuade a fantasy owner. Try to trade for him now because this is a guy that, especially in points leagues, he showed last night he could fill up the stat sheet very quickly. A double-double in 18 minutes. Wow, that's pretty damn good. Um, Justin, we cover GPP and cash games for pretty much every sport over here at fantasyguru.com. And Jeff Manns is very vociferous in his support of the cash game. And it seems like you're kind of doing the same thing, Justin. You're saying cash games, cash. You're in Discord talking about cash games. You're in articles talking about cash games. Talk to us here about cash games and why you think that's a better way to go than some people wanting to throw that money in the GPP scenario. It's very easy, Ray. GPPs are the enemy. GPPs are meant to take our money. Multi-entry as well. It's like you, you think about it just on the broader scale. Why would you play in a multi-entry contest than a single entry contest. It just makes no sense to me, and it never has. And there's separate strategy when playing in a multi-entry large field. But when it comes to cash games with the volatility of the NBA, I don't want to have to focus on ownership as much. I don't want to have to essentially fade somebody who has a killer matchup who we know is going to get a 6X at a mid-range price point just because he might be 65 70% owned in a contest. And that's why I say cash games cash. But people just think about the million-dollar dream, like when FanDuel and DraftKings and Star Street and Fantasy Aces all came out. The, Kyle, we used to make fun of it on the air all the time on the radio. We used to make fun of that all the time. You can win a million dollars. What's what's wrong with putting an awesome fire cash game lineup in three fifty-fifties that are twenty bucks each if you want to go that high and win 60 bucks and you walk it's away. not a million that's what the exactly. problem is. And that, but that's the problem that it's not good enough for people they see one person in every thousand in discord cashing a few hundred bucks and they think okay now i gotta cash 800 oh i 
made $25. It could have been $250. Such a gambler's mentality. The NBA has too much volatility. And I think by playing in cash games more, we know what we're playing when we're playing our players. We know that we're going after the best plays out there. And just because you don't win tens of thousands of dollars in one hit doesn't mean it can't be profitable. Just people don't have the patience and it's a problem. You mentioned uh, too much volatility in the NBA. I must ask, uh, and this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, scoring's out of control. I mean, in the last week, Doncic and Embiid have both hit over 70. I think P.J. Washington had like 42 points. It's <laughs> like, and Someone's again, got I, a score on that team, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, maybe I'm wrong. I think it's like 115, 116 points a game per team. So two-part question, is there too much scoring? Like, is this getting silly? And B, for the wagerer, have the over-unders, the game totals really taken off this year? I mean, have the books totally caught up to this? Yeah, I mean, they have. That's the problem. And they were from the start. I mean, there was a few years ago, two years ago, we thought 238 and a half was an insanely high total. Now I'm looking at tonight's five games. You've got three games with at least a 235 and a half total. You got Lakers Hawks at 248, 248 guys. We've seen games, multiple games in the two fifties. Also tonight, Pacers Celtics 245 as well. And that's with questionable players on both sides. So yes, it has got out of control. And that's in a way, Kyle, why I've been staying away from betting the over-unders and been asked in Discord, you know, you go after a lot of player props, but why not the over-unders as much? And that's because back when 238 and a half was the highest point, we were crushing the books with over-unders. Now they're just so hard to beat. They're all caught up and it's very hard to really tout an over-under because all of a sudden what happens is a team falls back 20, 25 points, and then they're bringing in the reserves to start the fourth quarter. Normally, guys, we see that happen when you empty the bench. They at least play the normal rotation players for about five, six minutes in the fourth. This year, and I saw it a little last year, now they're just taking off the entire fourth. Joel Embiid up, just sit the fourth. Yeah. I love just giving up. <laughs> Here, here's $30 million, but don't play the whole 48 minutes. Love it. Love it, yeah, I know, uh, right? Because give, giving up does everybody a lot of good, right? Yeah, I don't know. Well, teams aren't going to give up at the trade deadline. Um, they're going to obviously push. There's teams that think they need one more piece. There's obviously names that are out there. Give us a few of the names, Justin, that you're hearing in the old rumor mill that could be on the, the move here at the trade deadline. I got five for you right here. I got oh, wow. five on it. Nice. Kyle has no clue what I just say. Man. But, <laughs> yeah. right. Zach Levine is one that we've been talking about all year. I just think he holds down the Bulls offense. And if they're going to start to retool a little bit, get rid of this guy, put him on a contender, take, you know, say, hey, look, this is a guy that could get you, bring up the ball for you, also move around a bit and, hey, can help out boost your scoring and keep the pace running somewhat fast. So that's a good sell to a contender. Bruce Brown was just traded to Toronto. Don't think he really belongs there. The plan was him why he signed with Indiana to be part of Indiana's plans. And then the Siakam trade brought him to Toronto. Another guy would fit on a contending piece, gives you that offense, but more importantly, shuts down the lanes with strong defense at the elbow. DeJounte Murray, I think Atlanta is ready to blow the whole thing up. It's just been bad. They're not producing wins. They don't play any defense. They can have all the offense in the world, but it's just not balancing out for them. So he could be on the move. Jordan Clarkson from the Jazz. Just too many guards on that team. You've got too many scoring options. And then this one from the Knicks, who I don't know if the Randall injury changes things at all. And I, this guy's a guard forward anyway, but some of their other guard forwards shift up because Randall's hurt now and they don't have a lot of depth up front. But Quentin Grimes, who's a good defender, can hit the knockdown three. Somebody else who's been on the block because he's very unhappy with his role. Now, mind you guys, this was the guy that halted the talks between the Knicks and the Jazz regarding Donovan Mitchell a couple of summers ago. Jazz wanted him along with a boatload of other assets, and the Knicks were not trading Grimes, and that ended their talks. Well, Knicks are doing fine. They don't They don't need uh, Donovan Mitchell. No, they don't at all. I mean, we saw in the playoffs when the Knicks faced them, we saw Donovan Mitchell just crumble at the seams, and, yeah, that you know gave us all the hope we can get. Trading deadline, uh, by the way, February 8th. So uh, we'll get back in touch with Justin next Tuesday and still have a couple of days uh, left before that day deadline. Uh, final thing, we got five games tonight. From a DFS perspective, is uh, there anything you're spotlighting? Maybe a game, maybe a team, a player, anything you're feeling good about early in the afternoon? 
I want to go after this Lakers-Hawks game. A lot of teams coming off last night, that's the problem. A lot of back-to-back. So we have half the field that's questionable, guys. Just I'll run this down quickly. Embiid, LeBron, Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, DeJounte Murray, Porzingis, Emmanuel Quickly, OG Ananobi, Miles Turner, Jakob Pertl. All these guys in a five-game slate are questionable. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, Porzingis has been questionable for at least six years. Porzingis has been questionable his whole <laughs> career, Kyle. Let's be real here, okay? The guy can't. The guy can barely stay fully healthy, and it's because of the way he's built. Always it, getting nicked up, and when he, when it hits, it, it hurts. Yeah, it, he's one of those. I mean, Wimbenyama. This it's like I look at these guys. It's like seriously, I don't. I've never seen a body break in half, but I expect <laughs> to see a body break in half. You know what? Guys. You know who gives me hope regarding Wembenyama? Giannis, because we saw Giannis as someone so skinny coming in, and then he bulked up and put on that mask. So I think guys like Wembenyama and Chet Holmgren can do exactly that: balance out the body from their upper and lower body strength and their core, and it may protect them a little yeah, bit when they. They got to get Wembenyama on a um, a San Antonio wet burrito diet. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing but burritos full of, as like those big 12 pounders. You know right? what, you know what's gonna happen, Kyle? You're gonna see him ruled out last second and get and in the parentheses for his injury, it's gonna say diarrhea. Yeah, <laughs> gastrointestinal distress. Yes. Hey, we, had, we had DeAndre Ayton ruled out because it was too icy on his driveway to get I out guess, of the You home. know, everybody's making fun of that, but I get it. We've all well, Ray has it. I have it. Just if I have been luckily I work from home, but hey, when it's icy. There are places you can't get. And if Kyle, you're in the mountains Kyle, of Oregon, I, come on. When I was producing your radio show all these years ago, and it would snow in D.C., and we didn't have the remote setup, it was, you're going to a hotel, and this show is airing tomorrow, no matter what. I don't care if it's snowpocalypse like it was in 2010. Their show is airing tomorrow. So if I could stay at a hotel for radio producing – DeAndre Ayton could stay in a freaking uh, hotel. Too. Here's here's what would have happened. He would have busted his tail to get to the stadium, and then they would have said, "You got the night off, buddy." <laughs> it's Bruce the tailbone snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Justin. Tonight, I know you'll be uh, helping people out in Discord. Uh, cheat sheets coming out for the five game slate. Uh, fantastic. Love visiting with you. We'll talk next week. Thank you so much again, guys. Okay. Uh, watch along Wednesday. By the way. It's coming your way uh, tomorrow night with Justin. So he's got more on that. It's a chance for you to kind of uh, see the game through Justin's eyes as it happens. He does that every Wednesday. Great addition to the NBA product that we have. Uh, Football-wise, Ray, not a whole lot shaken. Um, I see the commanders are going to interview. Like, there's still five head coaching candidates in the next day or so. They have no idea what they're doing. It's Yeah, Ben Johnson was there, and then all of a sudden – so I guess I, they hated his third and fourth quarter against the Niners and they're all, maybe. Oh, you never know. Uh, but yeah, they'll make a decision. Soon. Just as an aside, I find it really odd. Do you Kyle that I, and I get the process, but why aren't coaches interviewing while they're still playing? Shouldn't the NFL put a moratorium on all signings until like Super Bowl week or something? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird to me. I think that that really cuts both ways, right? I think the problem I see from a lot of angles. Okay, I get it. Like Ben Johnson, your job is to win against San Francisco. So should you be distracted by this? Secondly, I don't think a team should be frozen out of. You know, it, should they hire guys just because now I can do it and they're available? <laughs> versus, oh, I'd really like to talk to this guy. So. And then the other aspect, Ray, is Ben Johnson kind of gets screwed over if he can't do interviews. You know, if, if his team's really good and he can't get a job that year purely because they're really good, like, I, I hate that. I, so, I like, there's so many things moving where I think you should allow the interviews to progress. Um, and it sounds like most of these head coaches, you know, these interviews aren't, I'm flying into D.C. Yeah. In the middle of prep. You know, it's it's okay. We're prepping for one game. We've done this for 18 weeks. Sure, we want to crunch all, but can we really change what's going to happen on Sunday this late in the season? So I, I think the way it is now is fine, but it is very weird from a lot of different perspectives. You know, is it good here? Is it bad there? Is it unfair here? Fair here? I, I get what you're saying about that. Yeah, again, like I said, technology nowadays, you know, something as stupid as Zoom, you could yeah. talk across the world. So it is different than it was 10 years ago where you really yeah. needed to fly guys in and all that. Fair point. Yeah. Um, Kansas City, if you didn't know, they're in the Super Bowl. Charles Omanihu, I think it is, Omanihu, uh, along their D-line torn ACL. So he's out. He's had, I think, seven or eight sacks this year. 
Uh, he had the big hit on Jackson, I know, in, in this last weekend, but he will be missing. They've been a little banged up in their secondary as well. So uh, the Chiefs need the two weeks as they get set. Uh, again, that game coming your way uh, next Sunday night in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Ray, anything else? Anything we failed to hit on today? We hit a lot, I think. We did. No, I think more of the same tomorrow. Um, you know, more great articles coming out at fantasyguru.com. Use that promo code FSD20 to sign up for everything football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, racing, wagering, horse racing, everything over there. FSD20. Boom, 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 boom. Ray's knocking us out with all the uh, information there. Uh, we're back tomorrow, 11 a.m. More on first baseman. We will uh, hit the disappointments. Uh, we will spotlight another uh, breakdown courtesy of Ray Flowers and that Fantasy Guru Baseball Draft Guide. More football. Uh, we'll see where else the world takes us. Um, it's all coming your way tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, big thank you to everybody in the chat room uh, going back and forth and firing questions our way and comments as well. Uh, kind of keeping the room uh, going. Uh, Ray, take it easy. We'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good, Cal. Okay, this has been Fantasy Sports Daily powered by FantasyGuru.com. <laughs>